This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to part two of three of our reserve list extravaganza and the newest quarantine episode of the Cabal cast. Uh So brief recap of last week's episode, basically... Uh, Wizards did something completely unprecedented in collectibles, which up until that time had never had a mass reprint, really. They 10x'd the quantity of a lot of cards by printing Chronicles. And vendors, LGSs, started freaking out, thinking the game was going to lose money. All of a sudden, it's not a collectible. People stopped buying. This has never happened before. So Wizards gets us to where we were circa 1995 with the reserve list. Mm Mm-hmm. So this episode is going to be a bit more nitty gritty, brief overview, you know, why Wizards thought they needed it, what it changed, and kind of give you an impression of what's happened since it's been instituted and what its effect has been from back then to now when it's this incredibly controversial topic. So let's get started. Uh, So the reserve list as we know it is not the reserve list that was that yep. uh, they have changed it over time. I think the first change was in 2002, and then again in 2010, uh, because they yep. the, the first time was to actually update the parlance and make it a little easier to understand, because it was uh, very foggy in regards to certain things. The yeah. 2010 update was because Wasi tried to walk through a loophole with the From the Vault uh, deck series and they, and putting memory jar in uh, yeah. from the vault artifacts. Yep. And then there was also uh, dual deck Phyrexia versus Coalition. Is that Negator? Is that the card? Yeah, that Negator was, in there? was on there. Yeah, okay. which was not worth a lot of money at the time and still isn't. Yep. But so can... uh, that loophole was closed with a foil clause that came later. Because yeah. There were there at up to that point in time, there had really not been a difference between a regular magic card and a premium version of a magic card. Mm-hmm. It was either something that came in the set or something that was uh, promotional outside the game, in a book or a magazine, <clears throat> things like that, uh, or the, yeah. the players' reward stuff. When they still gave out cards, there'd been nothing like a supplemental product like this. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. They had, like, Judge Foil Wheel was a prime example. but I, And I, I personally still think closing the foil loophole was one of the biggest mistakes they've made. Uh, because I think, if, you know, you were able to print from the vault duels and just print money. You know, money printer go brr. Yep. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. Anyways, that's an aside. To so. be fair, though, from the vault foiling is ass. So it works itself oh, it's out in the end. real bad. Yeah. It works itself out so, in the end. Which is why it would have been fine. It, that's what it... Dual lands that are, like... Pringles like yep, that exactly. So, uh, but it's it's worth noting that you know this why they felt it was necessary. So at the time, as we touched on last episode, LGSs were panicking. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, this had never been done before, where you know you reprinted in such a large quantity all of the cards that existed in this collectible environment. And people started pulling their orders. LGS has stopped carrying the product. And this wasn't like it was today where they just sent them all to Southern or GTS or ACD or whatever. And like, great, 
We got our money. Doesn't matter. Does not matter anymore. Mm-hmm. I there were a lot of direct to LGS sales. Yes. So if any of you have been involved in an LGS, you know last year Wizards closed the direct supplemental sale program where you could supplement your release by purchasing directly from Wizards. That used to be the primary means of securing product mm-hmm. once upon a time. So they're in this really fragile position of we're kind of hand to mouth still. We've got this great product that all of a sudden died in popularity because we use the word collectible and people assumed that meant there would be a finite supply. So that's when we got, as my lovely co-host mentioned, the initial reserve list, which is not what it was, what we know it as now. Yeah. We essentially have to kind of walk it back and uh, piece it back together. Uh, All in all, the reserve list is a policy that covers an era of cards that goes from uh, Alpha all the way through Urza's socks. Masks, okay. Through Urza's yeah. block, right? Up to Masks. Yeah, and, yeah, through Urza's block, Masks was the first set that wasn't on the reserve yep. list. <clears throat> and there are essentially five bullet points on the reserve list, reserve list now. Reserve list cards are cards that will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. So whenever mm-hmm. you call something a looter, you know, a Merfolk looter clone, you, you can't have that. Uh, that's yeah. why, is it Reverberate, that red-red instant yeah. that essentially is Fork, got a lot of cruft in course at 2010. Uh, because it's essentially a reprint of Fork. Uh, A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtypes, abilities, monocost, power, and toughness. So that rule, but it's it's a top-level bullet point. You could probably be a a sub-level, but it flushes that out for Reverberate. The exclusion of any popular card from the reserve list doesn't indicate that there are any plans to reprint that card. So things that are just difficult to reprint because of wording or uh, bad templating that just cannot be updated and is like storm cauldron Proxy mana sorry there's that sure Cough. is it is it storm cauldron that has like the most number most amount of words on a card and it's been reprinted like once to try and clean yeah. up via oracle text like that is just a, a difficult card to print because of what it does yeah. uh the reprint policy applies to both english and non-english cards i don't think yep. there was i think that was just an initial bullet point there was nothing that really kind of ticked that one yeah. over and all policies apply only to tournament legal magic cards in printed form. Wizards of the Coast has and may continue to print special versions of cards not meant for regular gameplay, such as oversized cards. Oversized Juzam, Lotus, uh, Chaos yeah. Orb. The restriction also does not apply on non-redeemable digital cards in Magic Online or, or Magic Gathering Arena. So that last sentence of the last bullet point is new uh, somewhere between 2002 and 2010. But it wasn't... Yeah. It's not like they were going to allow you to redeem unlimited on Modo. Yeah, uh, but that's why we've had Vintage Masters, and when you look at, you know, Dual Lands, for example, yeah. I think, uh, well, prior to quarantine, uh, you could get a full 40 on Modo for, like, 400 bucks, the cost of one UC in paper. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah vintage, and, yeah, vintage and Legacy on Modo are wicked cheap. If you ever wanted to get in, that's your avenue, and that's it, also where you find games at the moment. Yes. Right. Um, but those those bullet points are important because they effectively, you know, when they came out and they said, here's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are making this as a promise to collectors, to investors, that these cards are reserved. Never put them in print again. And this was the reason that you are able to play Magic today. Yep. 
if they had never instituted the reserve list, Magic would have died. I know people talk about, you know, the rules update in Classic, uh, reprinting slivers, all of these things that were disastrous. Changing the planes mana symbol. Yeah. All this stuff is disastrous. Magic is dying. No, this, this was actually bad enough that there was legitimate fear at Wizards of the Coast that their game would die. Yeah. So they instituted the reserve list. Mm. And, and it, it helped float. It did. It, yeah. It, it essentially saved the game because these LGSs that had a, you know, up until that point, well, they say it's a collectible, so it's a collectible, now had a, you know, written promise of this is our promise to you as people who are trying to profit from the collectability of this game. Mm-hmm. We will not reprint XYZ cards. That's how we're going to do it. And, you know, the original policy was basically if uh, it had been in Alpha, Beta, not in Fourth or Ice Age, and any uncommons or rares from Arabian Nights and Antiquities that weren't reprinted in White Border. So you couldn't get Factory because Factory was reprinted in Fourth Edition and Chronicles. Yep. Uh, Reconstruction was in Revised, originally Antiquities. Uh, and then all. Oh, good, good. Oh, I was going to say all rare cards from Legends of the Dark. Yep, that so had not been reprinted in White yes. Border. So that means think, uh, Blood Moon, Ishan Shade, uh, that's Homelands. Um, but yeah. things like that. Uh, or... And Blood Moon was in the Dark, so it was reprintable. Yep. But. You couldn't get Nether Void, which I know we cited on Twitter as this week as look at a meme buyout that yep. never sticks. Uh, so basically, the cards that were in Chronicles and 4th Edition, that was it. If they mm. were in those sets, they could be reprinted. Yes. So that's how we if got If they weren't, you were in luck. Yep. Buy them up. That's why we got Blood Moon and uh, Factory in 4th yeah. as well as... Or was it was Factory in Chronicles as well as Fourth, or just Fourth? Factories was in Fourth and Chronicles, yes, uh, and Renaissance. That, that yeah, was I was just thinking. I was like, uh, I have, a, I think uh, I have a random French factory because of Renaissance that I bought when I was there. Yeah, um, travel the world by magic. So that that was based. Yeah, <laughs> great place to do it. But that was how they basically went to these stores and you know held their hands out and said, look. This is our promise to you. This is what we're going to do. And we have, like, these cards we can print in the future. You know what they are. Mm -hmm. You know you can invest in the cards that we're not going to reprint. You can throw a Black Lotus in your case and say not for sale. Yeah. Just to have it. Because it's never getting reprinted ever again. Ever. Oh, yeah. And that was... That was when LGSs and players said, you know what? All right. This is a collectible. This is something we can deal with. Mm -hmm. These, you know, couple hundred cards. Great. We can go for that. Yeah. We'll we'll buy back in. Yeah. And. And, Oh, go ahead. The reserve list is uh, a little more interesting, too, because there are caveats for the supplemental sets, uh, like you mentioned. At any point, Watsi reserved the right to reprint uh, cards from Fallen Emps, Ice Age, and Homelands, which is why we got yeah. uh, him to Turok as a rare in yep. in EMA, and we see a lot of those cards come out in A25 and the yeah. FTV20. Was that the celebratory one that had a card from every set? 
Yeah. Like, they're able to squeak um, rares in through there. So it's not like the reserve list is just this super blanket thing. There are a lot of ins and outs here regarding every single set from Alpha yeah. through Urza's block. And it, it was interesting to note that one thing that they put in at that point was the promotional printing, which they said, you know what, if it's a promotional card... We can reprint it from the reserve list. Yes. If it's not, you know, GP promo, judge promo, whatever you've called promos since then or now, uh, game day, whatever, you could reprint those as a promotional giveaway. And that was another caveat that was actually a blanket loophole for any card on the reserve list, which, you know, it was a huge deal when we got the oversized Sliver Queen and Commander's Arsenal because that was a promotional not meant thing. for play. Yeah. And that was a loophole that had existed for years. And, you know, changes since then, obviously, as Reptar mentioned in 2010, they basically made it so that premium versions could not be reprinted. Yeah. And that was why we got Phyrexian Negator, Memory Jar, Mox Diamond. Um, you know, we one. got. The Sliver Queen, we got the Survival Judge promo. We got the Wheel of Fortune Judge promo. And at the time that those Judge promos happened, there was no outrage. It, it was fine. Because they were worth dirt. Yeah. I, they, they did not Flat have out. the value at that point that they do now. Survival was banned and extended at the time. Uh, EDH didn't exist, yeah. really. It was uh, a fledgling it, format. It had yet to be banned in Legacy. People had not put that back together yet. Um, yeah. Wheel with No, without EDH, there was only one home for Wheel, and it was in Vintage, and you played one of, so that card was just low value overall. Yeah. And it was when From the Vault Relics, which, for those of you that weren't around then, that was not a high print run set. It was not printed like from the vaults have been since no uh was it the uh, second and, one in the in the run or was it the third uh, i was the second exiled okay. was the first, first i believe yep. um no dragons was the first dragons was, was the, the first yeah sorry yeah so it was the third yeah uh, but at that point you know we'd actually already seen some cards that had been on the reserve list printed into you know we we had berserk we had balance like these these were cards that were reserved prior yep. but the outrage really came to a head when from the vault relics hit and we had mox diamond and memory jar because those were a huge deal and masticor karn silver golem yep. admittedly berserk came off the reserve list yes uh that was before the they said we're not removing anything else yeah, that was part the of the 2002 list. update that we, we will talk about because it it's a little it's not dense, it's just weird. Uh, yeah. uh, of note, we do have print run information for From the Vault Dragons, I believe, at 10,000 total sets. Yeah. Uh, which is not a lot. I, I don't it, have print run numbers for anything else that I've been trying for years to get that. Yeah. I would assume if Relics is the second or third, we're probably looking at somewhere around 30 to 50. Yeah, maybe. And even then, that's... Like, those cards had, you know, Mox Diamond had new art, which... The new trend for Mox art, the, the hands, right? Yeah, the hands holding out. Yep. Um, and it's it's worth noting that that didn't... That wasn't a Chronicle size expansion mm -mm. of the print run of that card. 
I don't think Crystal Keep had the print run information for Stronghold, but assuming that we're going off of sets that came before it, you know, uh, for example, let's just take a look at, I think the most recent they had was Homelands. So for a Homelands rare, we had 400,000. That was twice the previous set, Ice Age. So assuming that trend follows, we could have maybe a million copies of Mox Diamond that were printed in Stronghold. If we only had 30,000 more, that's just 3% increase in population. But because the reserve list had been such an all-encompassing promise and people forgot about this foil loophole and they didn't realize that they could print an unlimited amount, yep. uh, there was a bit of outrage. But before that, we had the 2002 revision. Yeah. So the, the reserve list was blanket in regards to if a set is on there or a certain a set of cards are on there, it is just blanket across that. The 2002 update, uh, decide, Wazi decided no cards from Mask set or later would ever be on the reserve list. And they removed commons and uncommons from limited editions that uh, Alpha yeah. Beta un Unlimited. And that actually came through into uh, revised. I think things were grandfathered through, so that's why Demonic Tutor was re re was reprintable in yeah. uh, dual deck Divine versus Demonic, and uh, yeah. again throughout. So prior to that, it had been this broad strokes list, and it just like entire sets or entire chunks of cards within sets. Now they went through and a little a little more surgically said, okay, you know if we put all the, the the cards that only showed up in uh, the limited editions, i.e. ABUR, we're not able to reprint anything that came, uh, anything in the future that we want to reuse that hasn't yeah. already been reprinted. That's how Lightning Bolt got through. That's how Brainstorm, uh, or Brainstorm's Ice Age, uh, Swords of Blast yeah. made it through. Those had already been reprinted and already were outside that loophole. So it was essentially allowing them to go back and say, okay, you know, we want to reprint Gloom at some point. Well, to yeah. do that, we need to take away the uh, the common uncommon portion of the reserve list for, uh, for ABUR. Yep. And that coincides with the no commons, no uncommons from uh, AK and Antiquities. Yeah. It, it kind of sets a real nice baseline, so you have a, a very easy time and expectation when you're looking at things. And it's, it's important to note that... The 2002 revision was kind of in response to a shift in public opinion. Uh, less so, like there was a little bit of that in there because people were starting to say, all right, well, this is a lot for us to keep up with. Yep. Because every set they'd say, all right, here's the reserve cards as it came out. Yes. So, you know, we, we had the reserve list before we had Mirage. So Mirage comes out and they're like, all right, well, here's the set list and here's all the cards that we're never printing again. Well, you didn't have instantaneous information like we do now, so you'd have to catch it in, like, Scry or Inquest or the Duelist going, magazine. Yeah. yeah, and then kind of keep up with it. And Wizards kind of acknowledged, all right, this is a lot for us to keep up with, too. So let's make some changes. Mm -hmm. And that was what prompted the 2002 change to the reserve list. That, like, all right, we're not adding anything else. This is what it is. Yeah, and that was, I think, personally, a good decision. Uh, it's, I'll let that sink in for a moment because I just said Watsi made a good decision. 
But I think that that showed that they were at least amenable to hearing out LGSs again and adjusting their model to the needs of the LGS, something Mm -hmm. they have since ignored. They don't do it anymore. But it was good then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, with with the change in 2002, we were only really two years away from what begins, if you want to think about it, the next era in magic history and the the quote-unquote modern era. And yeah, as things so, Watsi should have already been future future testing uh, Mirrodin internally yeah. when they made this announcement. So if they want to start ramping things up as a company, they have to change the way they do business, and they can end that era of quote unquote small print run, uh, small indie company style things, and just move forward and say we're going to make this game collectible. We we now have a foiling process in place that gives you another way to to chase cards at all yep. rarities and the game remains collectible because people want to play it now so there are going to be cards that are sought after good luck yeah and i agree that i think it's fine carrying a reserve list throughout the end of time also kind of bloats the list and makes cards after a certain point no longer special like okay it's a reserve list card will it have value we don't know there are so many cards on the reserve list you can't you have the best ones, and then you have shit ones. Well, why are the shit ones on the reserve list? Well, because Watsy said so. Like, yeah. And it also hampered the way they wanted to do business later on, as we find out with supplementals and allowing people to get into additional formats through utilities like Masters sets and yeah. paper. Uh, 2002, I think Moto might have been in public beta, which means... Or headed towards public beta with the release of 7th edition that's when the CDs went out so you could do anything you wanted a moto it was the wild west there was no events as far as I remember you could just put anything in your collection save it and play in the rooms for fun there were no no tournaments so they had to figure out how they were going to do things and if they wanted to do set redemptions well that is kind of against the reserve list as well not because they're printing new cards because they're sending sending them out direct it could just bump up against something dumb in the reserve list that they don't know about Somebody sets a lawyer on task. Here, figure out why they can't do this. And now Watsy's in, like, in hot water. So yeah. you end the reserve list, and now you can do business as we saw from, let's talk about the modern era, you know, 2004 onward, yeah. essentially. And being able to print those and say, all right, well, we're trying to culturally at this time too you had the boom of the internet and wizards was trying to stay current with the times yeah so you know what the reserve list is kind of a relic of where we used to be when we were primarily paper we want to start moving into something a bit more modern a bit more up to date Mm -hmm. how can we rectify these two so that was when it was like all right well no more yeah because we want to be able to promote both our digital and paper games like and intermingle those. Yeah. So the way to do it was Moto Set Redemption. Uh, so get rid of it. Yeah. And like I said, I think I, I, we both agree it's it's fine that that ended the era, and it's it's nice as well too that you can look back and at this company and see that it had a storied history. It had a problem. It solved that problem. It's now it's no longer a problem, no matter what people want to say. It just helps float this game as collectible, one of the longest living collectible games that exist. Uh, to my mind pokemon is the next longest running one and those cards were on in beta in the mid 90s and released somewhere around 98 99 i think 
Yeah. But there's no reserve list there, and the only reason cards have value is they were either printed in an, an earlier era in the game's history when it was made by Wizards of the Coast before yeah. it failed, and then Nintendo took over for a long period of time. The game did nothing, and now it's back, and the cards that have prices from the current era only have prices because they're playable in their standard format. There really yeah. is no collectability to the game as a whole, and Nintendo has shown that they will, they will reprint anything whenever they feel like it yeah yeah they quote unquote reprinted the original base set uh two summers ago to go alongside pokemon go it was their next standard set it wasn't evolutions but it was something like that and they just took all the cards from base set and updated them to fit the current framework and and uh rules text and it didn't crash the finances of the game because that didn't it doesn't exist there yeah the the finance in that is mostly in slab stuff which I, again, completely separate market than the base market, typically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you know, they. So 2002 hits, and then we have years where there's nothing. Everything's fine. They print these judge promos, and 2004, we have this powder keg promo. Uh, we have, you know, stuff like that that comes out, and nobody has a problem. Yep. And then we get Dual Decks Phyrexia versus the Coalition which hit in March 2010. And then we get From the Vault Relics, which hit in August 2010. Shortly before the new Phyrexia release, because it had sort of body in mind. Yep. And that's when people started freaking out. So at that point, people who had invested in the reserve list but forgot about the promo exclusion... Or just ignored it, never knew it existed, whatever. They were upset. Because at the time, it did have a decent impact on prices. Although not print runs. And they said, wait a second. You can just print an unlimited amount of these. Why would you not just do that and devalue all of my stuff? Mm-hmm. And the uproar was such at that point that, you know, it was a fraction of what it is now whenever someone mentions the reserve list. But it came from the right people. It came from vendors. It came from people who had been dealing direct with Wizards of the Coast since the 90s. And they said, look, uh, we're not really okay with this because you just cost us a bunch of money. I'm sure someone invoked promissory estoppel, whatever. And that's when Wizards of the Coast said, all right, well, this loophole we're going to close it. And I still think to this day that is the biggest mistake Wizards of the Coast has ever made. Closing the promo loophole? Closing the promo loophole. And there's a lot of big mistakes. Yeah. A lot. I We don't have enough time in 10 episodes for me to go over all of them. No. But I think this is the biggest one because this was their option to make people happy. Because as... And granted, this this is with 2020 hindsight. So we know now everyone hates the From the Vault foiling. It's awful. Uh, this this tangle wire up until about 30 seconds ago was in a top loader, and it is already starting to bend. And it had been in the top loader for months. So it's terrible. <laughs> you, you don't want it. That's... And, it. and people know that now. Yep. But at the time, they didn't. But if they had left that loophole open and said, "Hey, all right, look, we're not going to print, we're not going to print more than X amount of the original printing." Yep. 
because of that, all of a sudden now we have out, you know, outrage over Wheel of Fortune, Dual Lands, whatever the case may be, for stuff that's on the reserve list. And this was all because of From the Vault and Dual Decks, and that started in 2011. And since then, reserve list hasn't been changed. They've left it alone. They haven't done anything with it. Except when Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast, their new CEO came in and doubled down on the reserve list. He was asked straight up, what's the plan? Not changing it. It stays. Yep. And everyone now thinks, you know, get rid of it, whatever. I don't know how many times a day Mero gets asked about it and says, look, I'm done discussing the reserve list. Probably 10 a day at least. The the one thing I want to point out is in this time period between 2002 and 2010, the, the other major collectible card market was waning. Sports cards were on their way out. Yeah. Watsy closed this promo loophole. In the meantime, though, after 2010, sports cards walked right the fuck through that. And they oh, yeah. have, there are things like uh, the Panini Prism Packs where that we had mentioned before. There are 24 packs in a box for basketball. I'm looking at it now, 24 packs in a box, four cards per pack. That's 96 cards in a box. This box sells for $280 on Amazon right now. If Watsy yep. wanted to do that, they absolutely could. At ninety, that's three dollars ish a card. They definitely could have found a way to do some kind of promo per, like this with a limited run and announce those numbers ahead of time so people could be assured that there would be yeah. no overage. And if there was, then they're in another pile of shit, a la Upper Deck, because yeah. they just, you know, broke their promise essentially to their customer base. Yeah, but closing that promo loophole closed off options like this. The best they could do at this point is master sets that include some high-profile cards that aren't on the reserve list until the end of time. Monodrain, Force yeah. of Will, Monocrypt. And it's worth noting the parallels between the collectible market for baseball cards and Magic because you know as we touched on last episode, despite being two completely different things, those markets have been like very indicative of what happens in the other in one way or another yep. and what could happen in one to the other and the fact that you know i personally for me i've started collecting dallas cowboys rookie autos because i'm an idiot and years ago i decided to be a dallas cowboys fan that was one of my biggest mistakes <laughs> anyways Good that quality. market is starting to explode again yep. and they don't have you know a written promise that we're not going to do this thing they just individually serialize everything so you know there's no more than 75 of this version of the card in the world. Yep. And doing stuff like that has allowed them to skirt around any type of reserve list quandary or anything. And it's actually made it so that the collectibles in there are worth way more and the chaff is worthless. Yeah, and you can have several tiers of collectability as well. You can have yeah. the regular packs like they do with their super rare inserts or charge a little more for a more common style of insert. Uh, the prism stuff that I d just mentioned all the way up to, I don't know who makes it because I keep forgetting when I ask. I think it's a set of hockey cards. It's close to $1,000 a pack. And you also get a little metal suitcase with the packs yeah. as well. 
Yeah. And I can never remember what that is. The Panini stuff just kind of came to me as I was thinking about it. But yeah. they just kind of tier their collectability. So the people who want to collect more, who are more into that hat, the whales and that can buy something super high end. Uh, the football yeah. cards that have like onomatopoeia, Batman stuff on them, just like pow, yeah. or whatever those are. That's another market. And it also gives you the opportunity to collect things that don't have to be slapped either. Yeah. Um, sports cards also tier based on slabability. You know, people yeah. buy cards because they like the player, they like the team, etc. They'll buy whatever. Some people will buy it because once this guy retires, a Hall of Fame, get it slabbed now, get it sure. signed yeah. on the slab or uh, on the cart itself, and then it'll rocket in value. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't you can't do that with Magic because of the way they closed all the loopholes with the reserve list, which is a shame, but it does keep our collectible game afloat. You know, yeah. they they could have tiered collectability the way sports cards are doing because almost everything outside from like the actual gameplay yeah. inserts jerseys bats uh pieces of gloves from football stuff like that it's all some weird hollow thing yeah magic can do that they figured they that did. out before sports cards did they did they had that problem solved then they created a new one because they warp like hell but i'm convinced Oops. they could solve it if they wanted to yeah so that's that's how we've gotten to where we are now. Uh-huh. So next week we're going to cover the last year or so of outrage, how it's viewed now, how we can look at it historically, and try to come to like some objective conclusions that aren't necessarily, you know incendiary in any way i'll do my best no promises i'm trying fair enough (laughs) all right so you're ready for picks yes let's do it all right give me yours you can go first all right so my pick this week is peacekeeper so this is something that we've had for I've had it in my back pocket for a while. The reason I elected to go for it now is over the last couple weeks, we've had some EDH reserveless staples spike. Uh, Grim Monolith, Wheel of Fortune, most famously, Gilded Drake, LED, Mox Diamond. Granted, LED and Mox Diamond also have Lurus. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. In Legacy. I don't want to get started. But these are things that have a good amount of playability in CEDH and regular EDH that are starting to see a rise. Mm -hmm. And personally, I know it's periodically discussed on the Tana Timna Blood Pod Discord because I bring it up now and then, and so does everyone else. Uh, How do we feel about Peacekeeper in the list? Okay. Because in some metas, it's very viable. It's also very much a viable card in Death and Taxes sideboards in the right meta. Really? It's also real affordable so one of the things that happens when we see these buyouts is people notice the high-end stuff as it happens because that's where you have the most visibility Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if you look at the mtg stocks graph of this uh in april of 2018 peacekeeper spiked up to 22 dollars, which was the start of the old school boom and the start of the reserveless boom and we're at a low since then of about two to three dollars for low so it's a pretty low-hanging fruit, and the low-hanging fruits are often the last things to get bought up. Yep. Kind of when I cited Divert, 
as one of my picks because of the invocation basically being worth nothing compared to the rest. Because people will buy the expensive cards first, and then they'll gradually trickle down to the rest. And people don't always notice when a $3 card spikes to 5 because it's only a $2 spike, but it's also almost double the price. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it just gets by people. And that's where... That's what we're looking at now with what could happen with Peacekeeper. And I think it's reasonable to say that it will. And I could be wrong, but this is sitting in bulk boxes still. Because at $2, people don't bother. They're not going to do anything with it. So you may get lucky. You may find it in a bulk box somewhere, and you know what? Pick it up for a dollar. Pick it up for $2. I don't think you can lose out there. No, uh, the other thing is this does have legacy playability. Uh, you and I talked about this during the week. This does crop up every now and again in yeah. low-to-the-ground creature lists. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in Maverick, but most famously I've seen this on yep. Merfolk sideboards. Even with True Name Nemesis in the main, there are times where Merfolk will splash white for Peacekeeper. And granted, this doesn't work with Loris because it costs three. There does always exist the opportunity for... Uh, a creature deck to come up and play this yeah. card if they have a way to remove it themselves and then just get you. This is effectively a moat that can be removed by a merfolk deck or mm-hmm. another creature deck because they generally are playing white and gen- uh, naturally and can swords it out of play. Yeah. So I don't expect it to just all of a sudden blow up because of legacy, but this da- actually does yeah. have that kind of opportunity to compare it to another uh, some of the other cards on. The reserve list that we have seen spike and hold or spike and steal the limelight, so to speak. Yeah, so. and I think part of it, too, is it's something that you can see, like, through natural demand, mm-hmm. just gradually rising. And that's another reason I'm perfectly comfortable picking a card like this up. Yeah. Because it's not going down. I, I can't imagine something like this ever being below $2 since it's reserved list, unless, you know, the game just completely crashes, which may happen. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, it also does go on pillow fort decks within EDH. A lot of people, for whatever reason, just don't forget this is a card. It turns off the yeah. combat step, and, and it's just one of those things where the more you bring it to the surface, the more people are going to remember it exists as an option for things. So you, yeah. you might just see this naturally pick up in popularity as people remember this is a card. So Yep. Uh, I, I like the pick. I, I've had my bunch for a while because of Legacy and the fact that it's now seeing play in CEDH, so this card actually has a finance driver behind it, definitely points to the fact that we're going to see it move yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, for my pick, I went with uh, something from our past as the Cabal because it's finally yeah. popped up on Bylus again, and it's a Temporal Trespass, a card I generally do not keep uh, tabs on because it sat flat for a really long time as we can see it yeah. spiked uh, shortly after Aether Revolt like troughed spiked up to about $5 and then kind of pulled back uh, getting in that long ago allowed us to get in somewhere between a dollar and two which is really nice and even at a $4 yeah. price tag uh, I really like it the reason I wanted yeah. to, to, to pick up this card and point it out is it's not an immediate flip but when it does show up, you should out as many copies as you have because this is going to just keep doing what it is. It's going to trough, spike up, trough, spike up. And the initial timeline we had on this card was a lot shorter than it appears to be. Yeah. Unpredictably so. And any time that we're able to out for profit, we want to because we want to churn. Yeah. Uh, it, this card didn't get a lot of help recently. 
out of anything outside of Thassa's Oracle and EDH. Obviously, this goes in the Narset uh, taking turns deck. The Narset yeah. creature, the first one that was printed. What's her name? Enlightened Master. And outside of that, this, this card actually yeah. really exists. Yeah, Narset Enlightened Master. It, it exists in the very same space as Finale Revelation. It's just a lot of these same mono blue or blue X decks that want to do big dumb things and win in, in a flurry of turns. Yeah. Make the game about yourself. Take as much time as you as you possibly can and win the game from there. This is a quote unquote time walk that exiles itself compared to some others, so it makes it difficult. It makes it nigh impossible to loop, unlike Time Warp. I believe Time Warp uh, yeah. sits in your graveyard. So, yep. But it is easier to cast, so you can start going off faster. Uh, earlier in the week, well, sorry, late last week, because I don't know what day it is. This card was on CK buy list for three dollars and twenty cents cash, four dollars sixteen credit, which is more than it currently is or was on TCG Player at the time. CK yeah. was also buying foils at almost double that price. I think it's eight dollars, eight twenty-five slash ten seventy-three for this card. They are no longer buying foils, and they are still buying non-foils, albeit at a dollar less on both sides, seventy cents yeah. less on both sides. So when I made the announcement, that was the point to get on this card. But it's still on the buy list, which is actually a really nice thing to see. The yeah. quantity of the amount they're buying currently is now greater than it was last week, which is kind of odd that they had less on the buy list and it was higher. And now there are more and it's less. So it might be that their algorithms are looking two weeks in the past prior uh, as opposed to uh, <clears throat> one week. And they might be, uh, yeah. they might be looking back longer. But this is a card that I would keep my eye on if I had a bunch, like I do. Yeah. And I'm going to you know, start slowly sending them out to state demand. If Card King is buying them even in a low quantity, they're most likely moving on TCG, so I could load there for 4 to $5 and probably just let them sit for a couple months and then out. Yeah. But this is just uh, kind of a silent gainer. And it's, it's one of those cards that I think when we first got on it as a Cabal, it was entirely because of the Taking Turns deck taking off in modern. Yes, I, that, my uh, last bullet point was about that, but I forgot, because it's I have exactly this. Format information, yeah. colon, EDH only, not in Taking Turns in modern. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we, we were like, all right, maybe. And yeah. I think that effects like this are just incredibly good for us to have as, like, vendors having stuff like this in your back pocket because it's something that's incredibly popular in casual EDH and as you know I we've all harped on casuals drive the market and you can get them fairly affordably mm -hmm. and just kind of let them sit and out as you want and it's just an all-around like good solid pickup it's the type of thing that people don't necessarily realize you know hey I got this chilling and I guess suddenly it's worth money yeah. Oh, you know, I told you it's worth money. How about I give you some money for it? And yeah. that's all it takes. Yeah, the the reason we thought this would splash in uh, taking turns was because, and I forget the, the, the player's name, they had moved to a Snapcaster build, and you can yeah. delve back Temporal Traspass. We didn't expect it to be a four of because it costs 11. We expected it to be somewhere in the neighborhood of one or two of. I think what happened was that player start, uh, started playing the Oath of the Gatewatch time walk yeah. with Awaken. Yeah, uh, and the kill the kill condition went from like Snapcaster and um, something else beats to just the uh, awakened beats. Yeah. So 
So definitely, definitely good. Yeah, and like I said, this is I, I can't really give you a timeline on it because our thinking about it was way incorrect, and because this has really gotten no new toys in uh, EDH, it just wants to do big dumb blue things. It very rarely is going to get something that's going to make everybody turn their lasers at this card and, and just buy it. So it's a, it's a, a silent gainer. I can recommend yeah. getting in on it, uh, not too deep at close to $4, because I don't know how long it's going to take for the out at 5 Yeah. I it's, it's similar to my Unbound Flourishing pick, that I don't have a definite timeline, more of like, this is the dollar amount I'm outing at. Yeah. And I think that's you know also worth noting because you don't necessarily have to be a percentage margin. Yes. You know, if I wanted twenty percent on my unbound flourishings, I could have outed them months ago. But I think that card's worth more than it is now, even. So I'm holding it, and I think that's you know, temporal is a very illustrative of you know sometimes you know the dollar amount and that's where you go. Yeah. Exactly. So indefinite timeline but you know the amount so you still know you're out exactly if you can get in at three i think getting out at five is perfectly fine for for this card yeah. getting in at four for and sure. out at five not the greatest if it's uh to buy a list uh you at that point you'd be able to sell it for more on tcg player facebook and other open market which means it's probably closer to eight and then i yeah. would take that route if you got in at four so that's for I'm sure at. but yeah i think it's going to wrap it up for this week you got anything else Nope, that'll do it. Okay. Uh, we will have our notes about the giveaway going up in our Discord in the next couple of days. We finally flushed out what the next three are going to be, if I remember correctly. One for yep. May, one for June, and then we're going to do a combined uh, July and August. You heard it here first. We will yep. remind you as we go. Uh, but if you'd like to get in on that, all you have to do is uh, subscribe to our... Uh, Patreon it will cost you as little as a dollar a month, and you can get in on all the conversations we've been having about the reserve list, fake spikes, and the people who are currently driving foil grim monolith. Yep, good times. <laughs> so, with that, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Patreon. I think at some point we should get our channel name on YouTube. Um, yeah, we are on. Uh, I think it's what is it? Just the Apple Podcast network yeah. now i think they finally yep. split and stitcher yep. you can find Still me there. on twitter at halt i am reptire i am at thirsty sizzler and we'll see you guys next week deuces